Hey, hello, hi, welcome to and are back to the Jet Real Podcast. I am your host, Jill Therese, and this week's episode, I'm going to be answering your questions, and I know some of you are a little bit like, ugh, about these episodes. I got you. I feel it. I understand, but I think that the topics in this episode and in a lot of the other ones are really applicable to a lot of people. So even though it's not your specific question, perhaps, um, maybe it'll give you some ideas about some training scenarios that um, you've been faced with lately. Um, So this episode, um, a brief overview of what we're going to be talking about, is a horse that is choosing grass over work. Um, and the same horse that just doesn't really want to go forward um, while he's being lunged. Uh, next is a complicated yet common barn situation and um, some interesting relationship scenarios with the trainer. And then um, talking some more about cues and clicker training. And um, I kind of want to like go over what cues are and what they mean and Uh, the difference between a cue and a marker signal, and um, this listener-specific question regarding that, which is really interesting, and I've never heard anything like that before, and I'm excited to kind of explore that with you guys. And finally, um, head away when the horse has food anxiety, and I have a lot of thoughts on teaching head away, so um, I want to get into it. I want to first apologize that it might be a little weird sounding, because I am not in my usual recording space, so if it sounds a little bit different, I apologize, but I have been carrying my microphone with me all over town so that I can record this episode. Um, It almost got recorded in my car, (laughs) but um, I appreciate your tolerance, and without further ado, let's roll the intro, me a sec. I'm going to proceed with my off-the-cuff Patreon ad that I tend to do. So if you don't know, you can ask questions like the listeners that I will be answering today. Um, You can do that yourself, and uh, there are different tiers for every kind of... um, you know, budget, and you get different benefits at different tiers, and um, you guys can look into all of that. But if you would like to ask a question for the podcast, say you just have one, you can pay $5 one time, cancel it after that, and just ask me your question, and I will get to it. And then um, just be sure to include that whether or not you would like your name said, because some people would rather remain anonymous, and that's fine. If you don't say anything about your name, I'm just going to assume you want to be anonymous. And also be sure to specify whether you want to answer it on the podcast or not. Um, That option is not available at some of the lower tiers, um, but you always have the option to keep it anonymous, and we can leave out some details, um, you know, if anything is a dead giveaway. So be sure to consider that if you would like some training help. I do offer uh, video coaching as well through Patreon, so just be sure to look into all of that. And uh, yeah, without further ado, I'd like to get into the episode, but I should probably tell you how you can find Patreon first. Hold. Okay, so you go to either the app Patreon, it's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and you can become a patron of the podcast just by typing in Jet Real Podcast, or you can go to patreon.com slash Podcast, and you can cancel it anytime. Um, I would highly recommend doing it on the first of the month, so you have the entire month to do it. Um, and the good news is, uh, while you missed <laughs> July's live Q&A, um, that is 
patron exclusive only. Um, August has not happened yet. And it, I did the last one on the 17th. So it's coming up in the next few weeks. So be sure to become a patron before that. Um, and I will be posting a lot about that, um, as we get a bit closer. Anyway, now I would like to get into the content. So, um, I want to say, God, I'm so sorry. I'm like, let's get into it. Wait a second. Um, I kind of just want to talk a little bit, give you guys a little bit of an update before I jump into the questions. Um, but yeah, so I, today I spent like five hours between the you break, I fix, fixing my phone so that I could take it to the Apple store and then they would exchange it for a different phone. And now the phone I have, it wouldn't upload to, or the iCloud wouldn't download. And now I have it sitting in front of me and it says time remaining about three hours. So maybe by the time I get done with this podcast, it'll have figured out whatever it's going to do. But um, hopefully I don't lose everything that's on my phone. Um, I have it backed up on a hard drive, but that's annoying. Um, But anyway, so that's how my day is going so far. I'm trying not to slip into brain dead territory, which is what tends to happen on these podcasts. I get really tired. Um, But also, if I have to pause, it's fine. I'll come back and you won't probably know. But um, I'm at my parents' house right now because we're um, prepping to leave for a vacay. My parents are already gone, but me and my sister are going down later. And um, so my cousin is staying here and they're not here right now. I don't know where we've disappeared to but um so there's that also I spent a large part of today because I really wanted this episode to be on um some behavioral issues like biting and girthiness and touch sensitivity general grumpiness and um I wanted to center it around ulcers and I kind of just wanted to do a deep dive into ulcers and talk everything like that kind of like I did on the dominance theory because ulcers just play into so many different facets of um, interacting with your horse and it there's so much out there on it that I ended up with like 50 studies to read and I was like okay we cannot just (laughs) kind of bs this one Um, because dominance theory I'm already really familiar with the research on and I've already done a lot of it so I, I didn't have to like sit and read for multiple days I just spent several hours on it and um but the ulcers I want to make sure that I've got everything um you know super accurate because um it's a lot easier to talk about dominance and hierarchies than it is about um hormones and (laughs) biology so I just I want to make sure I don't say anything stupid um whereas I'm pretty confident about dominance theory and my terms on that um anyway um so that episode is coming I just want to um, kind of brush up on the research and make sure that I know what I'm talking about before I um, go rambling about it because I have a lot of thoughts about ulcers and how it plays into weaning and um, competitive horses, race horses, all that good stuff. Like I just I want to get into it. Um, I also want to do a future episode on bonding with your horse and um, you know how to actually interact with your horse like a horse, um, to the best of your ability. Your horse will never see you as a horse, as I covered at length in the um, dominance episodes. I believe that's episodes 30 and 31, or 31 and 32. Um, I think it's 30, 30 and 31. Um, but um, how you can you know, spend time with your horse in a way that um, they will <laughs> feel like you're actually trying to bond with them rather than um, the cognitive dissonance reduction that we call um, aggressive training or natural horsemanship. Um, and I also would like to do an episode on that at some point. Like I have 
so many ideas. There was another one specifically that I wanted to do. Um, I don't know. I have, I just have a lot of plans for the podcast, but some of them are going to require a lot more time on my behalf, um, to like study and research and plan it and organize it. So it's not all over the place. Um, cause the dominant series episode took me a really long time to do an outline for, and, um, I still couldn't get it to where I wanted it. So I want to make sure those other episodes are good as well. Um, so I'm trying to up the quality of content instead of so much a stream of consciousness like you're getting now. But if I could tell you guys the week I have had, I have literally had something to do every single minute of every single day for the past two weeks. And it is driving me insane. And I'm so glad that I get to go on vacation and sort of relax and just take a breather before I have to, um, jump back into everything when I get back. I'm hoping I'll be reinvigorated and ready to go. And um, hopefully I'll have my videos edited as well uh, for YouTube. I've been knocking some of those out. I also plan on doing a video on dominance theory um, just just so that there is something to combat all of the um, join up and lead mare and alpha stuff of your horse videos that you find on YouTube when you type that in. I would like it to pop up and be like, why that isn't true? Um, You know, because I'm devious and I think people deserve to know about science. Um, But anyway, so update about that. Um, I'm also planning on doing an episode with a first guest. They reach out to me. I'll give you a hint. They got their own podcast and they're very smart human and I'm excited about it. Um, And we're both going to jump on each other's podcasts and talk And um, I'm pretty hype about it because I I have so many people that I would like to interview on the podcast, but it makes me so nervous because, A, I don't, I mean, I guess I'll just do FaceTime audio because the quality is pretty good and hold it really close to my mic. Um, I'm going to have to test that out first, but um, it just makes me a little bit nervous because I'm like, oh, what if I say something wrong? Because, you know, if it's just me, I can cut it and it's fine. But if there's another person, um, that's stressful. But um Hopefully I can put on my big girl panties and handle it. Uh, But yeah, I think that that is about all the updates that um, I kind of wanted to lay out before we jump into this bad boy. Sorry, I can see how loud that mouth sound was. I sincerely apologize for those of you who are not into ASMR. Um, Okay, so let's get into these questions. Uh, Listener Kat asks a two-part question, and she can do that because she is at the upper tiers of the Patreon. And quick reminder, if you want to ask a question, you can do that through Patreon. Uh, Just be sure to include your name and uh, whatever information that you feel like is necessary for me to answer your question. And if you have any questions at all about how to do all of that or how Patreon works, feel free to just shoot me an email at jetrealpodcast at gmail.com and I will be happy to help you. Um, Okay, so Kat's question is, uh, starts with a quick recap Uh, that says my horse was diagnosed six months ago with kissing spine and a year ago with really bad ulcers that plagued him for quite a long time. So the first part of her questions says he learned at my old barn that anytime he gets taken out of his paddock, it's not fun and probably involves pain. My old trainer was not kind, and I'm trying to undo that by listening to my horse. His way of telling me that uh, this is by refusing to go forward and locking his knees when we are leaving the paddock. I'm really trying to create a positive association with myself and, uh, of myself with him and I don't want to go back to the old ways of yanking smacking and he doesn't run away from me when I let him go in the paddock and he walks up to me when I go get him always a good sign jumping in here um uh there's been a lot of conversation about this lately and I'm glad we're finally starting to talk about it um if your horse is bolting away from you 
like, I mean, maybe one time, you know, I wouldn't get too butthurt about it. Um, every time or every now and again, we have off days or maybe something was really interesting over there or something spooked. Um, but if your horse is consistently running away from you every time you let go of them, that's really not a very good sign. (laughs) Um, if your horse is really, really enjoying your work, the rule of thumb is generally that they aren't super excited to get away from you. (laughs) Um, and I'm laughing because it seems so obvious, but um, that's not to try and demoralize anybody who um, is experiencing that. Um, it is a very simple change. Um, like Kat here says, she used to have a trainer that was, you know, not super fantastic. And um, I would assume that the horse was not super game to hang around and participate. Um, also, I just became aware of this. Um that I said she, and then I was like, I know Kat, I'm pretty sure she prefers pronouns, but she pronouns, but also maybe include that if you ask a question, um, because I don't want to accidentally, you know, hurt anybody's feelings, um, because I do care, (laughs) and it matters, Um, so I'm cool with pronouns, you just let me know whatever you want to be called, sis, or brother, or whatever you be, human, yes, so um, yeah, just want to jump in there and say that also, um, okay. Anyway, so good sign. The horse <laughs> wants to be with you, Seamus. Um, and, um, yeah, I just, I really, I can't believe that for so long, <laughs> there's so much time out of my life that I it just was like, my horse loves me. And every time I turned her out, she's bolting to the back corner of the paddock or running away from me or never walking up to me when I went to go get her. Um, it's, I mean, think about you <laughs> if uh, you see your significant other or your best friend and uh, you walk towards them and they look at you and turn and tuck tail the opposite direction. Just just food for thought. Okay, continuing on Kat's question here. But as soon as he steps out of the paddock, it's like he says game on, which is not how I want it to be. Um, I have some thoughts on that. Hopefully my brain will remember to come back to that in a moment. Okay. Uh, the problem is that we live in an area with not too much pasture and he has turned out in a dry lot with plenty of hay in front of him. I hand graze him every day for 45 minutes after our workouts, but as soon as we exit his paddock, there is grass everywhere. He will nosedive for it and I haven't found anything that means more to him than grass. I don't know how to get him to walk forward without putting pressure on the rope and even... When I do get him to move forward, he tends to stop maybe 10 feet further, and we start the process over. If it were up to him, he'd stand in that one spot, and we'd whack all day long. (laughs) So getting his attention slash finding a way to motivate him to want to work with me is hard. I'd be there for days if I didn't use negative reinforcement and ask him to move forward with soft pressure. I ask him to move to the side and will take any movement as long as it's not backwards. I try to use as little pressure as possible and immediately let go of or let the line go slack when he gives slightly and followed by click and treat. If I let go if I let the line go completely slack though, he will just start grazing, so it's hard to make it completely positive reinforcement. So before I tackle the second half of the first question, um and Kat, I love you endlessly. I'm the same way about um telling stories. There is zero chance at concision. It is long. But how else are you gonna know and have a good basis? for understanding the situation answer you know there's no other way you just gotta be long-winded so i apologize um but anyway so initial thoughts are um i am not a huge fan of positive or negative reinforcement with a cherry on top and what i mean by that 
is what is reinforcing the horse. So if you're walking and your horse is doing the behavior that you want, um, what's reinforcing it? So he's lifting his head out of the grass. Why? It's not because he wants the treat. It's because he wants you to stop pulling on his face. Um, so, and I mean, like, I, this is, I'm no tea, no shade, sis. The, I, it is, um, I have been one to do this many a time, especially when I first brought Zoe back home uh, after her colic surgery. Oh my God. It's horrible to lead. Just pulled me all over the place. Um, but it doesn't mean she's being bad or deliberately, you know, being a jerk or just not caring about me or not respecting me or anything like that. It just means, uh, well, you can yank on me all day long, but I'm still more motivated to have this grass. Um, so my initial suggestion here is to say, um, instead of grazing him for 45 minutes after your lesson, maybe try doing it before and then he'll, um, be satiated. And I know that's like that. I mean, the fact that you even graze him for 45 minutes after is already like outstanding. Nobody does that. Um, and I can hear the, like three of you in the background going, yes, I do. But like most people do not (laughs) graze their horse for almost an hour after they ride. Um, so that's already huge, but, um, maybe it would work better if, um, you tried it before, if you haven't already. Um, I also know Shauna Karish, she, um, did a whole episode on it. And I know for a fact, and Kat, you know this about me, that I was doing something and I was really multitasking. I think I might've been feeding the horses one weekend. And, um, I was trying to listen to her episode on how she taught a horse to, um, you know, not be so motivated by the grass. And, um, I think this horse was like on stall rest or it had had surgery or something. So it didn't have access to grass or outdoors like all day long. So you can imagine how motivated this horse was to graze. And, um, she goes into a lot of detail. I wish I could regurgitate it. And I'm glad that you asked this question because it's going to drive me to listen to it again and do some more research on it. Um, but, um, Shauna Karish does have a podcast. Um, I believe it is called Clicker Training 101, um, available in all the same places uh, that mine is. I'm just going to fact check myself here. Um, I think it's, okay, it says it's Equine Clicker 101. Um, and it's with Shauna Karish. Um, it's on the Horse Radio Network. And she has an episode about just that. And um, so that might be more beneficial. Um, I know that essentially, um, like kind of the gist of what she did was let the horse know that she will let him graze, like to just like, I forget exactly how she did it, but it was something to the effect of like letting him graze. And then, um, I think his reinforcement for lifting his head was grazing again. Um, could be totally mistaken. And now I'm (laughs) <laughs> like kicking myself as a trainer here. I also know that Hippologic, I forget what the, the lady's actual name is, but her brand business is called Hippologic. And sorry, I'm really far away from the mic. I'll move closer. Um, she is, I think she did like a free online course. I don't know if it's still available or not, but that is a big deal for a lot of people um, that have horses just kind of pulling them off track. Um, so yeah, uh, maybe check out some of those things. I'm trying to think. 
Um, it sounds like you're doing everything right. I mean, trying to positively reinforce, but, um, if you're pulling and that's the reason that the horse is lifting his head, treating on the backside is likely not the goal with that would not be to, um, you know, you're walking the horse and he dives his head down to take a bite of grass and you just maintain pressure pulling. And when he lifts his head, you release and click and treat. Um, that's not what I would suggest doing. I would suggest leading him out. And if you're going to use positive reinforcement, I would click while his head is up or if he, um, and you might have to free shape it too. Um, I know that's how a lot of people do it is, um, just work on a head up cue. Um, so whenever the horse lifts its head to like, look at something, um, you know, try and catch the moment before they're about to do it at a cue and then click and treat. Um, and that way, um, you're rewarding the behavior you want, not just kind of adding like, oh good, I pressured you into it and now here's a cookie. Because the reason that the horse is acting, what's truly reinforcing the behavior is the negative reinforcement, not the positive reinforcement. It's the pressure from the lead rope that's getting the behavior you want, not the positive reinforcement. And I think this is a really good scenario where you can tell the difference between negative reinforcement, and positive reinforcement, where, um, negative reinforcement, it's kind of like you're saying no, 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 until the horse does what it wants. And then you say yes. Whereas positive reinforcement, your only no is not supplying the treat. So, um, and I, it also depends on the horse's perception, um, if it feels like it's being negatively punished, but I won't dive into that because we'll be stuck in the quadrants all day long. <laughs> um, but, uh, so with positive reinforcement, you're just like, keep guessing, keep guessing, keep guessing. And then, um, Yes, when the horse often does it by accident. Um, I guess it can work the same with negative reinforcement, but there's no real, like, discomfort. Um, and I, that's not to say that I'm completely opposed to pressure. Obviously, when I lead Zoe out of her paddock and she dives her head down to graze, it's not something that I have dedicated a lot of time to working on. So I, I kind of just have to stand there and wait until she's either ready to walk on or if I'm in a bit more of a hurry, then I just kind of pull a little bit and then she walks and then I reward her for walking uh, beside me instead of rewarding for picking her head up. So maybe making that small distinction uh, might make more sense to him. Um, also, another thing that you could try is filling your um, your treat pouch with that grass. Like, just go pluck some. I know um, some trainers that use positive reinforcement, uh, grass is the easiest thing, especially if your horse is really highly motivated by the grass. Um, just go pluck some and shove it in your pouch or in a bucket. Um, and then, you know, maybe while you're in the dry lot, work with your horse with that. And then when you walk out... Um, you can hand feed it to them. I know sometimes like Zoe would prefer to eat her grain out of my hand than she would out of her bucket. Um, you know, like some horses, sorry, I had to move the chair, like want you to hold their bucket for them and whatever. Um, I don't know why that is some sometimes, but, um, maybe that would be a good solution as well. Um, and then, uh, you know, maybe you pluck a lot of grass and at your tack up grooming station you have a pail of grass and then um so on the way there he's getting all the good grass and getting being rewarded for keeping his head up and then gradually over time you might be able to work on duration start lessening the frequency that you're having to feed him that grass on the way to your grooming station 
And then when he gets there, he gets a big jackpot of grass, if that makes sense. Um, maybe that's an alternative. I hope provided some options there. Um, okay. Second half of this question here. Um, wait. Okay. Um, before I get into that, I wanted to address um, the end of <laughs> the first paragraph. It says, um, it's, uh, but as soon as he steps out of the paddock, it's like he says, game on, which is not how I want it to be. And Kat, I know that you are the purest of hearts. <laughs> and um, that ideology is something that comes from traditional training. It's that same, like, uh, I want to use a word that I'm not entirely sure of the definition. I'm pretty sure it's dogma. Um, but this, you know what? We're just going to D-O-G-M-A <clears throat> highlight a principle or set of principles laid down by an authority as incontrovertibly incontro- true. Okay, well, you know what? I think that is the what I'm trying. Okay, so you have been indoctrinated by the traditional dogma. And I know I sound like a radical conspiracy theorist when I use words like that. I'm well aware. But um, that is what it is. You, There are these rules that you're not allowed to argue with. And that is um, when your horse is not doing what you want it to do. It's being disobedient or adversarial, which is more often than not, not the case. Um, and I know you, and I know you're very dedicated to your horse and positive reinforcement. Um, I have the benefit of knowing that about Kat than I do about a lot of the other patrons. So, um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that's what happens when you're super active on Twitter. Thank you, Kat, to making me feel special. <laughs> um, but so I know, I know how you actually like view horses. And so, um, but it's surprising that every now and again, little things like that slip out where you're like, it's as soon as he steps out of the paddock, it's like he says game on. That's him being an adversary in your eyes um, when that's probably not how he views it. He's I would be willing to put money on the fact that when he walks out of the paddock, he is not thinking I'm going to get the better of you game on. It's time to fight for this grass. Um, it's probably more like, oh, I know she's going to yank on me and wants me to go work. And while that's probably going to produce treats um I much prefer the grass the grass is way tastier um so um yeah I mean maybe just try some of the adaptations that I suggested listen to um equine clicker 101 with Shauna Karish's um episode on it um that's one way to do it um yeah I think that that should help you out I just wanted to point out that like even I know I know Kat is fairly adept at positive reinforcement and still every now and again and I do it too like just these little phrases slip out that I'm like whoa I don't believe that anymore but it's still like I catch myself viewing my horse as something that's out to get me Um, and I think that perspective shift makes all the difference in how you handle the animal like I said in the dominance theory episodes if you're looking at your horse um, that is out to get you you're much more likely to be aggressive and frustrated and hurt Uh, That's the primary emotion that comes from that. You're hurt that your horse doesn't want to do what you want it to do. So, you know, you resort to force because you're frustrated and angry and hurt. Um, But if you view your horse as, you know, he's like, I just, I don't have any grass and I really like this grass. Then you're like, okay, well, let's use the grass to do the, to make it work for both of us. You get what you want and I get what I want. 
Um, hopefully that makes some sense. Okay, so I'm going to continue her question here. Um, we have ruled out any sort of pain for why he doesn't want to move forward, and he's uh, honestly never been better under saddle or lunging. I think it's a behavior that he figured out worked for him, and he's still anticipating something that he doesn't want to do. To his credit, it's the dog days of summer, and although it's not too hot to work in, He's got no motivation to go with me despite my positive reinforcement. There's no panic in his eyes, more like a, nah, thanks, uh, I'd rather just stay here. So any advice for a stubborn, not sure if that's the right terminology, fatty who uses grass or values grass over everything else? Um, so yeah, I feel like I pretty much answered this. Um, I really, it, uh, you've told me a lot about this horse and I really don't feel like he is, um, really anticipating bad things. I mean, maybe perhaps there's an element of that. Um, you said he was struggling a little bit with the mounting block, but, um, from the sounds of either our DM exchanges or Twitter messages that he's gotten a lot better about that. So you're doing everything right, dude, like so much positive association. Um, and when you get this horse, like going, like imagine where you guys are going to be in a, in a year of how far you've come this past year. Like it's, it's just going to amplify. Um, so maybe one day you'll be able to lead him with nothing to the all past all of the grass and he'll just be game. Uh, but to me, it sounds like, especially if he's on a dry lot, it sounds like he just really wants the grass. Um, so um, maybe some of my ideas will help you get a little work around there. Okay. So second part of Kat's question, I've been trying to cut down on the amount I have to drive him forward while free lunging in the round pin. Problem is he's a lazy little shit and I promise I do love him, but it takes a lot of motivation to get him to move. I'll reiterate that once he does move, he's completely sound and comfortable. Any advice for motivating a lazy horse with positive reinforcement? Um, so I mean, I would really, um, reward any energy at all. So instead of, you know, driving him around with the whip. And then when you get the forward, um, you know, holding it for a couple of steps and then clicking any indication that he's like about to move forward. Um, a lot of what I like to do on the ground, and it is especially useful if you can use the environment to help set you up for success. Um, and obviously you can't control the weather, but on like the really brisk mornings, um, when they're really excited, that can be a really good time to work with a horse that is, um, maybe a little bit, uh, on the relaxed side, um, that you can use the weather to your advantage where he's really feeling good and you can be like, okay, let's go forward. And then, um, you can walk beside him and then encourage some energy by you walking faster or bigger. Um, and that's what really helps Zoe, especially, um, so, and don't ask for too much too fast. We, as clicker trainers, have a really bad tendency of asking for too much too fast. Um, so, you know, you get that really awesome upward transition, and instead of clicking for the transition, you're like, okay, but now do 10 steps. And then the horse is like, okay, I'm not getting rewarded. I must not be doing the right thing. So um, you have to build up to that. And it may sound super annoying for people that come from a traditionalist background and I'll be honest, for me, it is a little bit difficult as well, but logically think about the difference between a horse that has had to do 20 transitions over and over and over again um, to really reiterate and increase the frequency of that behavior versus a horse that does it, you know, for every 20 transitions that the clicker trained horse does, the um, natural horsemanship or the one that you're asking for 10 more steps uh, before you click that horse is not get those two ladder horses are not getting near the amount of transition practice and reinforcement as the first one. So, 
um, that horse is going to be a lot better at doing the transitions and it pays off in the long run. It sounds super annoying and time consuming and inefficient at the beginning, but once you really establish those transitions, then you have a horse that really understands uh, moving forward and the cues and the transitions. And also, um, for a horse that has a really hard time getting energy up to know that you're not going to push them, uh, can be really helpful. And I know Kat, you're working on kissing spine rehab. So, uh, that is a little bit difficult and I'm kind of in a rock and a hard place with that as well with Zoe, because, um, I can't like, you can't reinforce every single step and keep stopping if you're working on stamina and building up strength. And I mean, you can do reps, but uh, it's, it's not quite the same, um, as doing some actual conditioning and strength training. So I know your situation, but maybe since you've kind of got him in a good place, you could work some of that in, uh, maybe even just as a warm up, um, and then go do something else, maybe <laughs> graze him and then come back and then switch to negative reinforcement. I just always recommend if you're going to, um, you know, combine and do negative and positive reinforcement to be very careful with that because, um, you know, you run the risk of the poisoned cue, uh, which is essentially, uh, it's comparable to um, how Alexander Kerland always put it, was that like your boss comes up to you and says, let me, or see me in my office after work. And you have no idea whether you're going to get a raise or get fired. Um, so the same thing happens with the poison cue. Your boss telling you to see them after work is a cue. And you don't know if you do that behavior, what's going to happen. And that's often what um, comes of animal training. Like cat, for instance, um, you pulling on the lead rope to ask your horse to lift his head out of the grass um, and then clicking and treating, you know, you could poison that cue. You could poison the treat to where he's like, um, it's not valuable because it's associated with the pulling. Um, so you have to be careful. Um, also a caveat to that, uh, is that the poison cue study done by Jesus Rosales Ruiz and Mary Hunter at university of North Texas is, um, it was a study of one, they used one dog and, um, essentially the study was that they had this grid on the floor and this little dog was free and the, um, Ben Q V E N. Um, and the dog would stand in his square and the trainer would say Ven, and the dog would sprint over to the trainer and sit in front of them and the trainer would click and then give the dog a treat and the dog would immediately sprint back over to the square because he wanted her to cue him again so that he could get the treat because he enjoyed it um at least that is the the logical conclusion um and then then they did the same thing with uh, the punier cue, um, but a different square. So the dog would have to go to a different square on the f uh, grid on the floor. And the trainer would say punier. But the difference is if the dog didn't immediately orient to the trainer and jog over, the trainer would pull on the lead. Um, and it wasn't like a hard, like a yank or a dragging the dog. She would just like apply pressure and pull the dog over to her and then click and treat. Um, and it's really an incredible study. And I know it's, I'm pretty sure it's the videos only on a DVD, um, that you, there's a paywall, but I saw the video, um, through a, an online webinar and it was really incredible. 
um, the difference in this little dog because it was the same dog. Uh, and he was doing the same exact behavior, but the difference was the Punir Q got poisoned because uh, of the negative reinforcement and the dog didn't know which was going to happen. And I think that there are a few problems with that study because A, obviously it was only done with one dog and B, if the dog understands that if he jogs over to the trainer, um, then he's not going to get the negative reinforcement. Would he be more likely to be happy if he is avoiding the negative reinforcement or does it happen every time? You know, I mean, I have like, there are lots of questions, but the general idea is that you can poison a cue. So every time the dog hears Punir, he's got all of these conflicting emotions. He's like, I want the treat, but I also know something bad happens. Um, and then the dog would also like wander kind of listlessly around the squares and eventually wander back to the one where he would get cued. So in the Venn scenario, the dog was like sprinting back to the square. He was like, cue me again, cue me again. And the second one, he was like, oh, kind of like dreading going back to it. Um, so I caution against um, doing that and um, using negative reinforcement in the same um, like in the cherry on top fashion, like if you were to be in the round pin and you swing the whip at your horse's um, haunches and he starts trotting and then you click and treat, I would not recommend doing that at all. I would recommend um, shaping up to it, you know, asking the horse to walk a little bit faster, maybe through targeting. Um, some horses also really prefer targeting um, and following a target. Sorry, that was super redundant. <laughs> um, but they get into it and they'll chase it and they get really energetic and enthusiastic. Um, I think Shauna Karish, who has been super relevant this episode for some reason, she has a um, an Instagram. I think it's Terra Nova Training. They might have rebranded. I don't know. You'll have to look. At um, but she has a lot of videos of um, doing reverse round pins and using targets and having the horses get really energetic around them. So maybe those are some ideas. I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next question here. Anonymous listener asks, I have been slowly opening up to positive reinforcement training and your latest podcast episode on debunking head mare theory has opened my eyes. So I'm currently spending a good chunk of change boarding my horses at a barn where I have been close with the barn trainer slash manager, but we butt heads a lot. She's unprofessional and I've had to back off at times. The worker is nice. I'm not entirely sure if the worker is the same as the barn trainer, but I'm assuming so. The worker is nice and I am friendly with his fa- Oh, what? Okay, different genders. Sorry. Um, okay, the worker is super nice and I'm friendly with his family, but I've spent a lot of money on special weight feed and medicine for the horse I ride and he forgets to feed it to him or my barn manager will tell him something different without informing me. I understand the situation now. It's the same with the vet. I never get informed, and when I do the things uh, on my own, she calls it arguing or me being negatively independent. My horse is underweight, and it took me doing something for him to start uh, gaining again. So this is just one example of many, and I don't know what to do anymore. I don't have the heart to leave her because she is a friend and she needs the money, but she is defensive and unapproachable, and I feel like my horses are suffering. I have a mare who needs training rides, but I can't afford, or but she can't afford to pay a rider, and I'm not experienced enough. I just don't know what to do in this situation anymore. What would your advice be? So you're paying for a service that you don't want. That's the bottom line. And there is no hard and fast rule that says you cannot be friends with somebody that used to work for you. Um, 
it, you can maintain the friendship. It can be difficult, but if it's handled right and both people are able to be mature and approach it from a compassionate point of view, um, I think you would be good. I mean, if you wanted the least, um, like if you wanted to leave and you wanted the least invasive way out, I would probably try to approach it from the perspective of your horse needs training rides and, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's a hard situation to deal with, but if you are, you know, you're mentioning how you're forking over a bunch of money and what you want your horse to be treated like is not being met. And so you're just paying for something to be not what you like. I mean, like recently with my hair, can't give my hair the right color. And I like, it would be like every single time I go to this lady, I, even when I, she tries to fix it, I keep paying her month after month to do my hair in a way I don't like. The obvious solution is to either have a real deal conversation and be like, okay, look, we need to sort this out. And, you know, otherwise I, I can't justifiably pay you. And if it's not something that you're willing to do or don't think is in your realm of, um, you know, services that you offer, that's okay. But I want to go somewhere else and I don't want to damage our relationship Um you know, in the process, it, you matter to me. And this has been a really hard decision for me because the last thing I want to do is hurt you or make you feel, um, anyway, other than loved and appreciated, but I want to do what's best for my horses. And, um, you know, I, I don't feel like I've been heard here. And I feel like when I try to present, um, things that I would like changed, um, you know, they're not, my needs for my horses are not getting met and I'm very concerned about my horse because you know these are like he comes from a situation where he um starts out underweight and if I'm spending all this money on supplements for them to not be fed consistently I am just wasting my money and I cannot justify doing that any longer and I understand it isn't like a lot of extra to do a bunch of supplements and remember them every day. It is a pain in the ass. And me, Jill, here speaking as somebody who, you know, when I have to make up feed and each horse gets something different, it's really annoying and frustrating to follow the list. But I mean, after a while you get it down and you're just like, okay, in the AM, so-and-so gets this. And in the PM, they get this. And you develop a routine. Um, and if they're not willing to do that, that's okay. It sucks um, because theoretically, you know, if you're paying full board, um, you know, if you want your horse on a certain type of food or supplement, they should be able to do that. But unfortunately, in the horse world, (laughs) we end up with a lot of ego and personal, you know, insults happen. But I mean, at the same time, you can't blame them. I mean, like same situation with a hairstylist. If you were good friends with your hairstylist, but she just was not doing what you wanted, you feel bad. But at the same time, is that a reason to keep doing, you know, your hair the way that you hate it? <laughs> like, you're the one that's suffering. Your horses are the ones that are suffering. And, I mean, like, some of you may be like, okay, Miss Supplement, whatever. But, like, for a horse that's a hard keeper, you know, that can be make or break. And um, so, I mean, I feel you. If if it were me, I would um, have a private conversation with the barn owner and just be like, I know that we don't see eye to eye on supplements and what I feel like my horse needs, but, um, at the end of the day, 
I'm just trying to do what's best for him. And I don't think that you're not, but um, it's not what I want. And I think that I would like to look elsewhere, but I really do not want, um, you know, that to cause a problem between our friendship. It is not a testament to your character or how I feel about you or the way that you treat or train horses. It's just not the situation that I want and I want to stress that I love you and I'm not trying to hurt you in any way. And I would really like you to talk to me about it if you feel like that. But I just want you to know, you know, I want my young one to get the training that she needs. And um, I understand you're not in a situation where that's something you can offer and that's okay. But, um, you know, it's something that I want. And um, so, I don't know, hopefully that helps. I know how difficult it is. I have had to walk away from two trainers that, um, you know, I, like I've only ever had three trainers. One I lost because she moved. Sorry about that. Um, and then the second one I had grown up with and it was really hard to walk away from her, but I, it was, I was, I hated writing. It was so upset because I didn't like the training and I wasn't doing well and um, I didn't feel like I was, I was getting, getting the training I wanted, and it sucked and it hurt. And she, um, I know she was hurt by it. And I mean, I was a kid, so I didn't necessarily handle it the best. I was just like, yeah, okay. And she was like, I don't think that um, I'm the problem, but okay. And I was like, all right, that's fine. <laughs> you can think that. I'm just gonna go train with somebody else. Um, and that was even more awkward because I started training with the other trainer on the same property. <laughs> um, but it wasn't a testament to her character. We just did not click in a, the training setting. And I mean, that, that was just it. And I think she eventually understood that. And, um, uh, my parents are super tight with her and everything. She comes to our family functions and stuff. And I think we're, I think we're good now. Um, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it can be overcome and you just have to really stress how important they are to you, I think. And, um, emphasize that it's like sometimes I think um we have a tendency to not explain enough and we're just like um this isn't working I want to move and that leaves the other person with so many questions so much room for them to assume and fear the worst and I think if you take the time to really walk through it and explain it and ask if they have any questions or if there's anything that they feel kind of weird about and so you can just kind of iron out all those details um and you know sometimes it doesn't always work but um you can at least do the best you can, either that, or you could just be like, look, like have a serious real deal conversation and be like, this has to change. Um, I cannot be here to feed my horse and I am paying you a lot. I need you to, you know, be diligent about my horse's supplements. And it hurts my feelings that I know that you are not taking it seriously and you're telling me one thing and then telling the feed guy another thing. And, um, it makes me feel really undervalued as a client and also as your friend. And, um, I feel a little bit taken advantage of and that doesn't feel great. So, um, what do you think? How do you think we can resolve this? You know, involve them in the conversation. Those would be the two routes that I would look at. Okay, moving on to the last and final question. This one is a bit long. Um, I'm going to try and breeze through the background here. So listener uh, Peyton asks, brief background. I'm currently an MECE grad student. I have no idea what that stands for. Sorry. 
Um, and I have a 23-year-old thoroughbred gelding named Falcon. We both came from a shitty situation, a.k.a. a controlling container, whom I rode with for 10 years, and Falcon was with her for five years. She is kind of bitchy, and we both suffered the anxious consequences. And then in parentheses, uh, each letter spaced out with squiggles on either side. Learned helplessness. That's the only way you can read that. <laughs> Thought that was funny. It made me laugh. Um, not a funny concept, but... <laughs> funny the way you wrote it but um if you don't know learned helplessness is essentially um when either a person or an animal or any sort of learner um just thinks that they cannot do anything to change their situation it's kind of like if you've ever seen um those pictures of the horses that are like the lead rope is tied to a plastic chair and they're like it's not it's your perception of your obstacles or whatever um (laughs) those are often learned helplessnesses situations those horses um have learned through many experiences that their efforts will be futile and they will never get anywhere by trying to fight so they just shut down and um so anyway jumping back into the email here i bought him with or brought him with me to upstate new york four years ago when i started undergrad and we've been living happy happily ever after since jesus i can't read tonight i'm so sorry um i still ride Um, his health and comfort is hundred percent tip top priority, I promise. And started with some low key positive reinforcement work last year. Since COVID, I've had more time to be on the ground and take your advice to do more positive reinforcement. Awesome. Um, and I remember, I don't remember which trainer you referenced a few episodes ago, but I took on the mindset you mentioned of not replacing a cue if it already works fine. Um, I think I was talking about Alexander Kurland, but that's not exactly what I said. I said that um, she said, don't throw out all of your old cues until you have a new cue to replace it. So don't get rid of being able to lead your horse in lieu of, um, you know, if your horse doesn't know how to lead without pressure, you can't just not ever lead your horse. (laughs) Like most of us have places we would like to go with them. So, um, that um that's that's more what i meant um and some things the only reason i would leave a cue as negative reinforcement is if it is easier on both me and my horse to leave that cue negative reinforcement and also if she is not showing any signs of stress if she responds well when i ask her to trot by um you know tapping her with a whip um you know cool but how is her emotional state is she, what what does her facial expression look like is her back tight is she tense is she rushy is she stressed like those are the reasons that i usually prefer to do positive reinforcement because it's a lot harder to get those negative emotions out of your horse if um you're training with positive reinforcement so um yeah that it's not quite what i said but i mean if you're not looking to you know do predominantly positive reinforcement that's fine too um i would just caution against like if everything has a cue um you know for ridden behaviors um which often they don't um but if the only reason you're doing positive reinforcement is for like trick training and that sort of thing which i think you mentioned at some point um but if that's the only reason or in the realm you're doing it um you know that's that's fine but um you can always always retrain cues and I wouldn't leave them just because they're established is what I'm trying to say. I would <laughs> leave them if they're not causing any harm and 
it's really hard to be objective on that because like who are you to say you know how the horse views something so you have to be careful walking that fine line as well anyway continuing here um i decided to keep positive reinforcement work to his paddock and grooming tacking up for now he's been doing super well with it and he screams like a banshee whenever he <laughs> i come to the barn excited banshee um, he was starved at one point and I think my old trainer got him starving turned out with the cows in a barbed wire paddock So he loves anything food related He loves coming out to work with me now and I see his personality come out every time I put a fanny pack on so far He knows away smile back down and touch very well also for my listeners who are not in the u.s. I apologize for using the word fanny we will say bum bag or treat pouch because I realize it does not mean the same thing in the U.S. as it does in the rest of the world. <laughs> or I don't know if that's just a U.K. thing or if it's like everywhere else except it's like the metric system. <laughs> um, okay, so he knows away, smile, back, down, uh, touch, and very well. <laughs> um, okay, so a few questions. And from what I understand, I can ask unlimited. If not, I'll order them. So the first one is most important. I also have pre-read this email, so I just wanted to say I left that in there. <laughs> this is not, this is very meta. I'm sorry. I meant to do it more seamlessly, but that's, that's never <laughs> what happens. Um, so if you are at a $10 tier and above, you can ask me as many questions as you want. If you're at a $5 tier, you can only ask one question lifetime. So I would recommend becoming a $10 tier, and then you can ask me as many questions as you want. And then you also get more perks at the higher tiers. But yes, so um, listener Peyton, who is really tripping up my brain because your name is far too close to the word Patreon. And uh, that's what I want to say because I'm so used to saying it. But listener Peyton, these are your questions about Mr. Falcon. One, since I don't have a clicker and I can't make that alien tisk noise you make, <laughs> I seriously don't know how it's possible. I've been using good as my marker. Okay, so... If you don't know, I'm going to back up a little bit and explain. Um, if you want a full deep dive into why using a clicker is something that's useful and what positive reinforcement and all that good stuff is, um, the very first episode on this podcast is about that. And I think the second one as well. I also have a blog, jetequithyuri.com slash blog, where I talk. Wait, no, 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 no. I changed the website. Sorry. jetequithyuri.com slash help. I have explanations on all of that if you're more of a reader than a listener, um, which if you're listening to this podcast, probably kind of something that doesn't need to be said, but um, I think it's a lot more concise than me rambling for several hours, but this is entertainment, baby. It's okay. Um, but anyway, so a marker signal, all that does, whether you use a clicker or my sound or you say yes or good. Any of those things are an event marker. They mark the behavior or the event or whatever um, that you're trying to reinforce. So if you say are doing target training and you hold up a cone and your horse touches the cone, you click or you say, um, which is what I do. And then that tells the horse that was right and food is coming. Obviously the horse doesn't come out of the womb knowing those two things you have to teach them by loading the clicker and um also teaching them how you'd like them to behave around food and um you know sort of the rules of the game and things like that um but all those earlier episodes are on that so i would highly recommend checking that out or the blog um if you want to know more because it is really important uh to understand that but so um listener peyton is saying that um they use this um 
good, the word. Usually I advise against using words because um, it's really hard to be consistent. So, you know, if you, especially if you're distracted and you're like thinking about training and um, waiting for that perfect movement or trying to work out how you could communicate to the horse to do what you would like, um, trying to be consistent with your tone every single time is difficult. You know, if you're like deep in thought, it might be like good and it's kind of like flat. Um, and then other times when you get really excited, you're like, good, yes. Um, so it, it can just get kind of muddled. And also, you know, you might use the word good, um, you know, if you're riding and your coach is like, that was a really good round. And your horse catches that word because he said it just right or something. Um, it can cause a problem. So I like to pick something that doesn't have any prior association. Like I, when I first started talking about positive reinforcement, people always ask me why not use the sound because virtually every horse owner can make that sound though. Some can't. Um, but that sound is associated and commonly trained to mean go faster. So you don't want to confuse the two. Um, you know, even just for, if your horse has never learned that that means go faster, if you're in a warm up arena and somebody does cluck to their horse and your horse catches it and he's like, Oh, I'm getting reinforced. What's up? Like, so I tried to pick a really unique sound. A lot of people do a like tongue sound, um, not to deter anyone from using that, especially if you can't make the sound that I make. Um, I despise that sound. I do not like the way it sounds one bit at all. Um, you can also use a tangible clicker. They're like 99 cents at Petco. Um, but you can also come up with your own sound. You could be like, ah, <laughs> every time if you wanted to. Um, I know Kane, uh, who is Meyer Horsemanship on Instagram, uh, does a whistle. Uh, so, I mean, you can do whatever. I'm not consistent. I wanted to do a whistle, but my whistle is not consistent enough. Sometimes it works really well and other times I'm just not. So I picked a sound. I actually stole it from Swing Jinx on Instagram, Solera. Um, hers is kind of like a sound. It's like starts with a T, um, but I obviously can't make it. <laughs> um, so I tried a variation and it ended up being the sound and now I'm a regular old Visco girl. So glad I did that to myself. Um, but really it's just like a like bunch of s's like you're a snake and then like a really hard k um wow the audio file looks awesome sorry about that okay so continuing on with your question i say it in like a super low voice and hold the part until the treat is available in my hand and then i do the do a hard duh like good duh i'm assuming (laughs) you're welcome for the demonstration everyone um this was my first Um, this was at first my own little way of teaching him duration because I was taking way too long to get the treats out for his liking. Now I've kind of run with it. We are working on a foot cue and I think it has helped question mark. It just means that I can mark when he picks the foot up and hold the ooh while I pick it out and then the duh and treat when I'm done. It never goes on longer than I can stand it without breathing. I have weak ass lungs and I was wondering what you thought of this or if there were some potential problems I could run into. I like it for now, but if it's going to hinder us in the future, I'd rather transition uh, to a different marker while we're still relatively new to it. So yeah, I mean, it it works for stuff like that, but it could be confusing, especially if if you're using it to have a third meaning, which is duration. Um, So how I solve that problem that you're talking about, like with him holding the foot up, 
is um, like when I'm working with the babies who are super new at it and they're like also babies and have short attention spans um, is I'll like with Azula, for instance, I'll run my hand down her leg. And when I'm working on duration, I'll click a little bit earlier than I set her foot down. Um, so I'll ask her to pick it up and I'll hold it and I'll be like, good. And I use good as a keep going cue. So that's different from a marker signal. That one means you're on the right track. Hold it for just a little bit longer. It's a little bit of encouragement. Obviously you have to teach that as well. Um, they kind of pick it up as you go along and just be like, good, good. And then, then I would click and then I would set it down. Or sometimes if I'm trying to pick out her feet with like a hoof pick, I'll hold it and, um, I'll start to pick and then I'll click and then do like a few more and then set it down and then scratch because she knows that the click means food is coming and uh, that was right. So uh, you can buy yourself time that way. Obviously don't push it to where you frustrate them. Um, so be fair to the horse and don't set them up for failure. Um, but you know, you can sort of <laughs> weasel your way with that. Um, especially with stuff like that, like with hoof picking, you know, you need the hoof for longer than a split second to pick it out. So, um, that's what I would recommend doing. And, um, I, I wouldn't use the good, uh, like you're doing. I think it's, it's functional and it's uh, definitely an interesting way to do it. I've never heard of anybody doing that before. Um, so mad props for creativity and it seems your horse seems to get it. Um, from your description, but I think if you could, um, find a shorter sound that works better for you, um, you know, you could, it, it just needs to be something loud enough because the issue that I have with the sound is like, if a horse is trotting around in arena sand and their hooves are crunching, kind of hard to hear it. <laughs> I have to like, be like, <laughs> like really loud. Um, it sounds like I'm coughing up a hairball, but so, I mean, if you, if there's a word you can say like really consistently, then maybe do that. I know a lot of people say yes, but again, I mean, if you're like, yes versus yes versus yes, like those are, it's very different every time. Um, so I don't know, just, I mean, like you guys hear me on the podcast all the time. I like have a, I wouldn't call it a tick. It's more of like a silence filler, um, that I do the like sound. You could do that. I put my lips together and like blow out air. I don't know. Maybe that sound would work. It just depends on whatever works for you best. Um, and if you like your marker, then you can keep using it. It's totally up to you and your horse. And if your horse starts telling you that it's not working anymore, then you can change it. Horses adapt really fast to different marker signals. So, I mean, you can use a bunch. I just would not, <laughs> um, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think it's also just better because I can see how that would get confusing. Like if you're, if you ask for a transition and you're like trying to be like, good, uh, like <laughs> while you're also trying to ride rather than just like one quick marker signal. That's why a lot of people like the sound, um, because it's really loud and you can do it while you're riding. It's hands-free and it's quick, but I just, I don't like that sound one bit at all. Um, but Anyway, so I think that answers the first one. So second question, the first cue I taught him was away and he caught on super quick. It's basically at the point now where I can get the treat out and he turns his head away without a cue. It's great for him, especially with the whole starve thing. He's usually very anxious around food, but now he thinks whenever he does it, he'll get food. He'll stand in front of me or anyone without, with or without a fanny pack and turn his head away for a second and then back to check for food and again and again. 
And I described checking your fridge for something good, not finding anything, walking away, checking it again five minutes later. I love that he's put together, she's getting me a treat, better turn my head, but I don't know how to show him turning my head does not always equal she'll give me a treat. Thoughts? So, um, yeah, this is just sort of, um, this is what we call stimulus control. So um, the horse has learned when he turns his head away, he gets a treat, but he doesn't understand that it's only under certain circumstances. So um, you have, and horses are very good at picking up on context and learning Um, in a context like Zoe knows if I don't have uh, my fanny pack on, she knows that she's not going to get treats. So she doesn't, um, you know, start offering a bunch of behaviors. Whereas if I have on my fanny pack, she's like, she's like really paying attention to me. And if I like reach up to touch my hair, she's smiling. <laughs> um, so um, you kind of, it's, it's, I, I don't like to encourage extinction, but just not doing it when you don't have a fanny pack on is the easiest way. But the side effect is, usually frustration. Um, but the horses do learn that, um, you know, you're not going to give them treats. So maybe an alternative, what you could do is, um, you know, go hang out with him in his paddock or in his stall and you can just scratch him and just hang out in his stall and just be with him and not give him food. So he learns that like you can be around him and then he'll start picking up on what the difference is. And that doesn't mean you can't like scratch him or reward and reinforce in other ways. Um, it's very bonding to groom your horse if he likes it, if he doesn't, um, have a skin sensitivity, um, or ulcers or anything like that, it can be very bonding. So, I mean, he can still enjoy being around you and not be going through this really frustrating extinction process. Um, but he'll start picking up that if you have the treat pouch, that's when it's time to train. Um, just like he knows, you know, when you put the saddle and bridle on, it's time to train. Um, they learn similar things. Like some, some people, uh, the easiest example here is like, if you walk out into a field, um, where your horse is, um, and say it's that aforementioned horse <laughs> that does not like to be caught. You can usually walk up to them if you don't have a halter, but if they see that halter, they're tucking tail and running. So a treat pouch would do the opposite. They would be like, oh, cool. Yeah, let's do that. Um, so then they learn to offer training, whereas um, the halter would um, predict the running away. Um, the treat pouch predicts training, you know? I don't know if, I hope that's like a comparison that's understandable. Um, another thing that I would say is refine that head away cue. Um, I don't like to teach head all the way away. I like to teach head in the center of the body. And I think Adele Shaw has some videos on this on YouTube. She's the willing equine. And I also know I have, um, a playlist on YouTube called positive reinforcement training, um, tutorials or something like that. Um, you just go to jet Equitheory on YouTube and go to my profile and there's playlists and then find that one. And, um, fair horsemanship also has a video on what she calls rules of the game. So that one, um, is essentially you just teach the horse to keep their, their head and neck in the center of their shoulders. Um, and the reason that I don't like to teach head away is because of the calming signal, um, when horses turn their head away from each other. If you've ever turned a horse out in a paddock next to another horse, um, you know, they usually like walk up to each other and maybe one will turn his head away when the other one gets a little bit closer. It's, it's a disarming saying, I'm not a threat. I'm not here to, you know, do anything bad to you. Um, 
it's kind of like waving the white flag, you know, preemptively, like, I'm not a threat. Um, so you don't want to kind of mix that. Um, it, it, it's akin to, to use a severe example to like teach your dog to, you know, bite at you and then you give it a treat. You're walking a fine line on, um, because that biting at you also has an emotional attachment to it usually. So if you're cueing that behavior, you could be tapping into that emotional attachment. So if you cue a horse to turn his head away, um, you know, it's possible he could learn that, um, and I'm reaching here on this one, um, but he could learn that, um, you know, you want him to, um, ask you to calm down (laughs) essentially. Um, or, uh, you won't be able to tell the difference of when the horse is actually asking you to calm down and you're being too much. Um, so you blur the line by putting that behavior on cue because then you can't tell if the horse is actually saying, okay, you're being a lot right now. I need you to calm down or, Hey, I want food. Um, so just having them and you can always tell like if they have their head in the center of their body, cause they'll usually have an ear and an eye like staring you down. <laughs> um, and it's great that he, um, he's learned that actually, that, um, you know, you can reach for your treats and he moves his head away. That's what you want ideally. Cause when you start working on other behaviors like back up or smile and you click, you don't want the horse to come into your space. The, the reason that fair horsemanship, uh, who is Elise, why she calls it the rules of the game is because that's, that's how you start. You have to understand how to get your reinforcement and how to be polite throughout the whole game. No matter what we're training, that is the rule that when I reach into my treat pouch to give you your reinforcement, your head has to stay away. Um, And that's to protect the horse from you punching it (laughs) when he bites you um, or being in your space and making you uncomfortable. And it keeps everybody safe and from needing to defend themselves. And it also teaches the horse how to be polite around food, which quote unquote polite is anthropomorphic. But um, so I I would just really recommend teaching head in the center of the body. But um, yeah, I think the best way to solve, um, you know, helping him understand the context is to just go in his stall and hang out with him for a little while and just be with him and give him scratches and make everything really comfortable and good. Make sure he has hay in there so um, he's not really, especially with a horse that's had food anxiety in the past. Um, if he doesn't have any food in the stall, he might be a little bit more desperate for you to you know, magically conjure food. So, um, you know, pick a time when he's got food and then go in there and just hang out. And then, you know, he'll probably sniff you and be like, Oh, she didn't have treats. I'm going to go graze now or go eat my hay or whatever. And, um, then he, he'll learn that when you don't have the treat pouch or when you don't smell like alfalfa pellets, that, um, it's not time to train and it's not time to offer that behavior. And then you have to also generalize it to other people. Um, first you've got to do it with you and then you've got to make it to everyone. So this is really frustrating for me. Um, with, uh, one of our horses at the farm, I have worked so hard on this horse, keeping his head out of my space to get treats because he is just a vacuum for food. He loves snacks. And, um, he was, really quote unquote bad about being in your space when you had food and he would get very on top of you and it was 
he's a very big horse and it was like oh, okay this is making me nervous um so i he every time he sees me coming he moves his head away and um you know it's i just haven't really worked on what you're talking about um because he's not my main horse and it is kind of okay if he um thinks to keep his head away from me but um i watched this one of our um ladies that comes out to the farm sometimes she just walked right up to him and he stuck his nose out and she gave him a treat and i was like God. You just taught him that I'm the only one he has to do that to, which defeats the purpose of doing it because, you know, I'm a relatively adept horse person and I know how to move out of the way. But for strangers and other people that maybe don't know how to, the default behavior I want is for him to move his head away, not for him to search them. So um, (laughs) now his default behavior, and now I have to get another person and uh, undo that. Because now he knows, for me, he has to move his head away. But for other people, he can sniff them and mug them. So it's also a good idea to preemptively tell everyone in your barn, um, you know, just if you're going to hand feed him, cue him. This is how you do it. And it's okay if you want to. Um, But, you know, please don't feed him if he's in your space. I'm really working on, um, you know, helping him act the way I'd like him to around food. Um, So... That is what I have to say about that. Number three, this one is mundane in comparison. He loves the alfalfa pellets, but when he eats them out of my hand, so many times my hand gets all pruney. Any advice here, LOL? Um, The horse that I'm talking about also is, he's very slobbery and it makes my hand pruney too, but it doesn't really bother me that much. Maybe um, shorten your sessions if it's bothering you, or you could wear a glove. Um, I, I just, it doesn't bother me. My fingernails are permanently black from it. Um, but it's, it's up to you. You can always, um, you know, just have you like your training glove or something. I just, I don't like to have shoes or (laughs) gloves on, but around horses, I definitely have shoes on. I've gotten stepped on too many times. Um, but the point is, um, your hands are probably just going to get dirty. Um, uh, something that I also like to do, but you have to be careful with it. Um, you know, if like when Zoe gets really worked up, I cut my hand more. So if you hold your hand out in front of you and it is completely flat, like your fingers are stretched out and your palm is up and you bring your fingers together and that's how you feed um, a treat. So that's very flat. They kind of roll all over the place and sometimes the horses get a little bit anxious, like trying to grab it and they can like kind of vacuum it all. But if you cup your hand, like you're trying to hold water, um, you know, they can eat it for a little bit longer, but you, when you do that, you have to be sure that you're not moving your hand down because if you're moving your hand away from them and they have to, they feel like they have to chase it. Um, that's when you could get some like anxious, um, accidental biting, um, or stress. So make sure that if you cup your hand, cause I really like to do it. It really helps Zoe calm down and be like, okay, I have a moment to eat, but you have to be reliable in that you're not taking it away from them so that they don't feel rushed. Um, and then you can just kind of let them relax. And, um, also I think cupping that way might, um, help alleviate some of that slobber. Um, but again, be careful that your fingers are a not in the way and b not moving away from the horse's face. Cause if they feel like they have to chase, you might cause a problem that you don't want. Okay. So I think that that is about it for this episode. I am done with all of the patron questions. Thank you guys. Um, those of you who asked anonymous cat and Peyton patron, (laughs) um, I appreciate you guys' support. It means the world. And if you are currently a patron, you can ask me questions at any time, unless you are a $5 
tier person and you have already asked your question, in which case you cannot. <laughs> um, sorry, those are the rules. Had to make people want to pay me somehow. Uh, but um, it really does, it helps a lot and it supports me and the horses and my end goal of being able to eventually move out of Arkansas and be able to support the ponies and also justify spending so much time on these podcast episodes. This one, you may be like, uh, you're not spending any time on that at all. But contrary, I've been talking for an hour and 15 minutes. And also, um, the next couple of episodes, I'm hoping I will have had time to research. I'll be on vacation this next week. So, um, I don't know what the next episode will hold. Um, I tend to have a habit of deciding the day that I have to record, but, um, I, I'm really excited about some of the other researchy ones that I want to talk about because um, I want to dive into those topics personally and then uh, to be able to talk about it and share what I learn is kind of what this podcast is all about anyway. So um, yeah, I hope that you guys are kind of enjoying the direction that has been going. Um, I plan on talking about personal life stuff at some point, but I just I, my personal life has been kind of irrelevant as of late. I've just been working um, a lot on online stuff and horses and school. And so I really haven't had a whole lot to talk about, um, life wise, but you guys in the patron, you're also allowed to ask those questions. Um, you can, um, ask me anything that you want. It doesn't have to be horse related. I'm happy to answer. That's why I changed it from equine in theory to, um, the jet Real podcast because we can jet rail with each other you know so um without further ado i always do that at the end it's so stupid i'm just gonna have to start doing it for real um i mean i always mean to say with that said um please check us out on instagram facebook youtube and twitter at j aqua theory i do be tweeting some funny shit sometimes so check that out um also got the podcast instagram and facebook jet real podcast and uh, I think that's about it. Be sure to check out the Patreon. And uh, also, please don't feel pressured to support. I know a lot of you are like, when I get my paycheck, I'm going to do it. Like, do not. Do not. No. <laughs> it's it's okay. You can listen to the other episodes and figure out, um, you know, you can usually take some of the principles and apply it to whichever situation, um, you know, you're dealing with, with your horse specifically. Um, but do not spend your money, especially if things are tight on me, you know, like it's no, it's okay. I will survive without it. Um, and your listening alone still gives me money. Even if you fast forward through the ads, but don't tell them I said you could do that. Um, anyway, that is it. Thank you guys so much for listening and be sure to check in next Tuesday. I'll see you then.